you're driving in the car and someone's going really slow. I remember my my science teacher saying, one time I moved house and I had a fish tank on the seat and I couldn't go fast because the water was sloshing everywhere. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, maybe he's got a fish tank on his seat. <laughs> I was just so glad that I never actually lost my temper with him because it easily would have been done. Like, it was it was really hard. You lose your temper? It's hard to imagine. Are you kidding me? Really? No, Wait. no, I'm, I'm messing around because if, if someone had just the impression of, like, just the performing yoga teacher, they might think. Actually, quite a lot of people say they're surprised that I lose my temper, but that is my problem. I think it's like people always think I'm miserable because my act is sort of miserable, but... Oh, you're not always miserable? <laughs> One of the things I actually remember talking to my husband about before this all happened, before COVID, as I said, my, my dream would be to, to somehow be able to teach my classes from home and also have that ability to be able to then work anywhere in the world. Because if I'm just using the internet, I could therefore theoretically go on holiday or go somewhere for like a month. But if I could still teach my classes... You could do it on the beach or wherever the hell you are, like... Exactly. You know, I had this idea like, oh, wouldn't that be amazing? But at the time, all my people were here. They're literally here in Leeds with me. You know, they're they're not they're not around the world. They're not going to travel with me. So it was like, oh, wouldn't that be great? That dream of mine to, to be able to work from home. And then all this happened. It was like, well, that's not quite. I feel like I asked it and I made a deal with the devil or something. I didn't actually. But, you know, when you're like, oh, please, can I work from home? And then, ha ha, horrible play. They're like, oh, that's <laughs> not really what I meant. <laughs> But, um, the Lord works in mysterious ways. <laughs> yeah. What I thought was quite funny was last week you said a thing about Trump, and I never obviously asked you whether you were a supporter of him or not before, so that was a bit of a gamble. <laughs> you just assumed I didn't support Trump. I just thought that the demographic wasn't quite... Have not a white Republican? Well, no, it's not that, because he obviously it's got wider appeal than you think, because you've got, you know, Hispanics, and there's a, like a Blacks for Trump sort of thing and stuff, but I've never seen a, a rally. I've never seen Yogis for Trump. <laughs> yogis for Trump. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so, even though you're from the south of... I am from South. I'm from South Carolina, which has been a Republican state for my whole life, and I've had the same senator for my whole life. Uh, right, because they never quit, do they? He's probably in his 80s no, now or something. No, it's so it's weird. Yeah. so weird. You can only have a president for eight years, but you can have a senator for 40. What? Do you still vote? Can you still vote? Yes. Yes, I did a postal vote, which apparently was counted. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, darn you. <laughs> so you're, you're a dual citizen or? I'm a dual citizen, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got my citizenship maybe two or three years ago. I had to swear my allegiance to the queen. Did you? All right, I've yeah. done that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently, you do it at birth. I oh, do. I? Oh, that's great. Well, it's another one of those things that my parents didn't tell me that they were making me do. <laughs> they put your little baby hand on the Bible. <laughs> it's like being circumcised, isn't it? Just... Oh my God! Yeah, I think that's a little bit too popular in the US. I think I know that from Seinfeld. I know most things about America from Seinfeld. I think is it a little bit outdated? When did Seinfeld finish? Uh, ninety-eight. Yeah. So you're about twenty years behind. <laughs> I know. I think it's aged better than Friends, though. I don't know if you watch Seinfeld. I've seen a lot of it, but I don't think I ever like sat and watched it start to finish. I think it's the best sitcom ever made. If you pinned me down, so. I might watch it again actually because I do remember thinking it was good. I've got all the DVDs if you want to borrow them. <laughs> DVDs. <laughs> You don't watch it, you can't, you don't watch them anymore or something. 
I've got a Blu-ray player, but it's not plugged in. I'm not... I will submit to technology at the very, very last moment I have to. My only thing was, was I really enjoyed the idea when people started being able to stream things because there was so much less waste. You know, with all those DVD cases, all the cases for VHSs, all the plastic and the wrappers and the plastic and the plastic and the plastic. And that. No, you're right. So, you're like, right. that was why I embraced the no DVD thing because it was like, yay, no more plastic. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Also, you have to decorate your house with your movies as well if you buy the wall on DVD. <laughs> yeah, but how will people who visit know what great taste you have in films? If- mm, and that's when you buy the fandom stuff. Like, you know, like a book of, like, art from the film or something. <laughs> but you never actually look through yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But all the people that visit your house, all two people that visit your house in a year will see that book, maybe, if they look. So we should talk about stuff we're supposed to talk about because you've got a class and stuff, so... I have actually written something down on my podcast note that says, um, how was last night's class? Because I felt my vocabulary was crap and I really fell off my game. I don't know. I didn't. I don't really detect. I'm sort of in the zone a bit, just because it's moving so fast. I don't really have time to analyze. No, but that's good because if it was moving so fast and I was really bad, you wouldn't be able to move fast. You'd be like, "What the hell? What? What? You want me to do what? Put my elbow where? Oh, you mean my knee?" <laughs> You're the best judge of it because it's like when I know that I haven't performed as well as I should, but everyone still laughs, but it's still like seven out of 10 or something. And I think, oh, well, I know that, you know, they were there for the taking and I only did an average job. But if you asked anybody in the audience, they'd say, oh, that was really good. Yeah, yeah. It happens all the time. So I believe you, but I didn't have a problem. (laughs) Well, that's good. (laughs) Did you consider what I did to be a headstand? I nearly got there, I think. Did you get both feet off the floor? Yeah, not for a long Yeah, bit. I was going to say, because it's hard to see, you know, if it's just like that, you know. But yeah, I would say so. I was a bit kind of half worried about being on my head. Just that slight psychological, do I, should I be doing this sort of thing, maybe stop me from trying it a second time to make sure I got Have it. Have you ever had any problems with your neck? Like, is there, is there a, like a, is there a logical path to being worried about being upside down other than just being upside down? Because that's just weird. Mm, not really. I, I, months ago, I felt very lightheaded after a, after a session, but I think that's because I stood up too quickly or did something. And then I did feel a bit weird for the rest of the evening. And then I was just, because of the way my brain works, I thought, well, that's a brain tumor. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't, can't do that again. But I think I'm past worrying about that now. So well, I would say a lot of like symptoms after you practice yoga or after you do something is usually, is usually like one-off kind of random probably will never be able to pin it down and if you actually injure yourself as in like maybe tweak your neck a little bit or something like that and you think oh it's usually again not necessarily something wrong going wrong a lot of the time it's just fluke <laughs> i mean don't get me wrong there are instances where you hear horror stories from teachers but for the most part that's not the case you wake up sometimes like that and yeah. You just, yeah and you don't you don't think oh i slept wrong that's a stephen wright joke Someone asked me if I slept okay last night. I said, no, I made loads of mistakes. <laughs> I've not heard that one. That's good. Yeah, he's in, he writes one amazing joke every f- 10 jokes. And the rest of them are just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But every now and then, just genius. <laughs> I, don't, I couldn't write like that. I want everything I write to be good. Yeah. If I do something that's 50-50 at most gigs, I think, well, something's wrong with that. Like, you've got to be hitting the 90%. No, I'm, I'm the same. If I come to a class and I think like, oh, that was okay. I'd be like, hmm. I don't want it to be okay. Yeah. 
I'm going to eat this apple. You can cut this out. And I'll have to isolate the noise of the apple crunch and then... <laughs> I'm not having any breakfast. I had to have a cold breakfast because of this. I usually have porridge. And Were you trying to be quick? I had to be quick. I had Otibix, <laughs> which I didn't want. But I did it for you. Oh, man. I came to set up and I was just so tired. And I hadn't eaten anything. <laughs> but I can't eat early. I feel sick. I can't eat early anymore. I just make myself eat first thing. Once it's done... Then I can meditate. <laughs> my busy schedule retreat in my house at the moment. That sounds quite nice when you put it like that. Yeah. I think we should talk about meditation because I just figured last week was okay. a sort of yeah. half introduction to yoga. You should half introduce the idea of meditation. Okay, I'll let you start. But you you meditated the other day though for the first time in a while. So is that not a way in? So was that just a one-off? Or? So... No, so, oh, this is going to sound like advertisement. So Deepak Chopra, he's like, um, he's really famous in the US, but he's he's like, all the scientists hate him and all the like really spiritual people love him. But as a, a spiritual scientist, I find him okay. <laughs> well, Deepak Chopra has just launched another one of his 21-day meditation experiences with um, Oprah Winfrey. And they do, they have a little jabber about some sort of topic at the beginning and then... Deepak sets you up for your meditation and gives you a, a mantra and then you meditate for 10 minutes and then he he minds the time and then he rings the bell and, and that's that and then the meditation ends. And I really, really enjoyed those. When I started, I, I think I might have done his first one years and years ago, like eight years ago or something. And they were really, really good. And it wasn't my first experience of meditating, but I really enjoyed the way he set it up. And then he always set it up and then gave you a mantra and then that's what you focused on. And I remember thinking, like, especially the first few times that I did it, I really, really, it was it was on par with what I would do with my yoga at the time anyway. I had just finished my teacher training, you know, you know, really focusing a lot on that. And I hadn't really focused much on my astronomy at the time and I had was working full time. So it was really a lot. It was really nice for me to focus on that. And it really clicked. So... When he brings those out, I always try to give them a try. But it is nice, but I don't feel I get the same that I used to get out of my meditations. And to be perfectly honest, I don't know why. That's just like something that's slowly happened over the last maybe three years where I would meditate. And it's lovely. And it's, you know, yeah, I'll get a, I'll, you know, calm down or clear my mind or whatever. But then I don't have the same feelings that I did when I first started that's almost sad. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's all right. Yeah, don't bother, listeners. I've stopped and then I started again. So I just started again a few weeks back. And it took me a couple of weeks to get to where I was. Maybe I've not even got back to where I was. I mean, I'm doing, you tell me if this is wrong, but Vipassana, isn't it? The concentrating on the breath sort of. I'm sure that that's what's the mindfulness meditation. I'm sure it's called Vipassana. Okay. I thought you were going to tell me that that's wrong. Do you not? You're no. supposed to be my expert, though, aren't you? you? Do you mean like your pranayama? I think the technique is called vipassana. I'm sure. Oh, okay, that's new to me. Right, I will fact check that because I don't want to look stupid. <laughs> I I don't want to come across like an expert as well. I'm just I'm just a guy that's tried things, and I can only speak from my experience. I'm not. Yeah. I don't want to be like. You know, this this is what happens to everybody. You can't, you couldn't be. Yeah. But, but I did notice that I was getting in the zone more when we started class and we were doing breathing exercises. 
because I'd already put myself in that place during the day, I very quickly acclimatized to thoughts not really interrupting my, I was already there because it is just a, a lot of it's just practicing. It's called practice, isn't it? It's just practicing putting yourself in a certain state. And do you mean that from a mental point of view, like a mental state, or do you mean that from all, all levels, like mental, emotional? Um, I don't really. Well, how would you, I mean, like in your experience, when you sit down and you, and you, and you start to meditate, would you say that's like all levels when you meditate, you're trying to get to a state of, of whatever, of ease? I started doing it because I was anxious and because I, you know, I had CBT for it. And that was really useful, actually. Like some people think, oh, well, that doesn't go far enough. And then I was, you know, at the time I started comedy, I could completely throw myself into writing and, and a creative. So I had a lot of distractions, but it always, it'll always break through when you're just distracting yourself because you've not really dealt with the underlying thing. So I had a bad spell of it three years ago. And I was like, you just need to do something about it. I couldn't be bothered going back to the doctor or anything, which is bad advice. You should go to your doctor. But I, I listened to stuff about meditation. I listened to a lot of the things that Sam Harris says about it. He's a divisive character, I would just say, because you know, he's sort of a wokeness critic, if there's anyone listening and thinking that he's a terrible person. But the stuff that he writes and speaks about consciousness and meditation stuff, I, I found incredibly useful. So I thought, well, I will try that again. Not that I'd really tried it before, I'd only done breathing exercises before, but the mystification of it had sort of gone. Before I listened to him, I thought that a lot of meditation was this wishy-washy, imagine yourself in a field or... So like the visualisation meditations? Yeah, I think people... I don't know where from the outside, and this is probably what I thought. I thought it was a method of relaxation where you sort of take yourself away from the real world and imagine yourself in an idyllic sort of like on a paradise island or something for like 20 minutes. Go to your happy place. Yeah, it just uh, it just doesn't do it for me. Firstly, I'm really bad at visualizations anyway, so I can't really imagine myself in... You don't have an imagination? <laughs> no, I do have an imagination, but it's really just for wry wit rather than... <laughs> I just can't conceptualize myself being in a hammock or something. Do you know? Yeah. I thought that's what meditation was. I didn't realize that there were methods of it, which were, I feel like I have much more of an understanding of how consciousness and thoughts work. You're kind of detaching yourself. It's like the thoughts are happening to you and you're observing them a little bit more than being consumed by them. And so when I used to have anxious spells, I couldn't control my thoughts and I'd go into these cycles of, and then develop into a panic attack or something. But now... The, if I notice the odd thought, because I've practiced being away from thoughts and observing them, I kind of, I think you kind of learn not to engage with them. And I think that's what I've been getting out of it. So you start with just creating that little bit of space between you, who yeah. you are in your consciousness, and your thoughts. Yeah, because your thoughts are not, you, you don't really control those. They're, they're things that happen to you. You know, you didn't, I mean, they come from your subconscious, I guess. Mm. It's not anything that you have direct control. So you, so it's learning the techniques where a negative thought comes from seemingly nowhere and you just go, oh, well, that's a thought and you just let it disapparate or mm. whatever, rather than go, now I need to concentrate on that particular thought and see where this spiral goes forever. Yeah. And that's why it's called practice because you're just doing 20 minutes a day where you're practicing doing that with whatever thoughts 
And so when you have a spell where a negative one can come along, you, you personally, it might not work for everybody, I can deal with it. I had an amazing one last week, the really long one. I, I did slip in, it sounds like, I'm, I am a hippie, but I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm also, I'm a, cynic, a cynical hippie. I don't know if you can, and then there's the, a portmanteau we can make out of that. <laughs> a hip, a hippic, a sim, <laughs> simpy or something, I don't know. Um, might cut that out. So <laughs> I did slip into a different, I don't want to say different kind of consciousness. For want of a better phrase, it was a different kind of consciousness. I would, I, you can understand why people have mystical experiences doing this for hours on end because you, you can slip into slightly different states whilst doing it. Mm-hmm. And they are similar to if you ever had euphoric sort of experiences on psychedelic drugs or religious experiences. Mm. It was, it was a, like a, a euphoria to it, but it was a very mild euphoria. So I thought, this is brilliant for a man in his 30s. There won't be a come down from this at all. Just, I mean, that doesn't happen every time you do it. It's just you put yourself in that place and you practice and sometimes that kind of thing happens, you know. You, and would you describe something like that? Would you describe it as being in your body as well as in your mind? Um, my sensory perceptions, they weren't like I wasn't in a body, but they did, I don't know, they just shifted into like another... It was like in Star Wars when... Han Solo goes into the you know, hyperdrive or whatever they can't watch that for years. I just sort of zoom, zoomed into some, and I could still hear sounds that were external to me and stuff. I think I still felt I was in the body probably, but my senses were different. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is very nice. And it sounds like I'm doing it for the buzz of that, but which I'm not, but I think. Yeah, but like you're saying, it's kind of like, it's reaching a state of, of real awareness and peace, isn't it? And it's not necessarily, like you're saying, as soon as you try to get some sort of attachment to the outcome, you won't ever be able to reach it again. So you can't say that you're doing it for the buzz because you never get it again if you say you do it. You know what I mean? You just- yeah, because the first few times I did it after that, I was like, well, I'm going to do a couple more long ones and I can't wait to feel, you know, mellow again. And it didn't, you know, it was still nice, but it didn't happen. Well, there's this story that people tell when, we, when you start to meditate, um, especially in like more of the spiritual aspect of it. There's this story of like, say, this, um, these monks or these people who were training with this teacher, like a monastery setting. So like quite serious, quite intense. And new recruits, for want of a better word, would talk amongst themselves in the evenings or something. And they would say, oh, I, I was meditating today. And I had these beautiful visions of, you know, colors and swirls and these gorgeous things. And this one, one of the new recruits, one of the people were like, I never get anything when I'm meditating. Nothing ever happens. I really want something to happen. And then she, she went to the master and she was like, oh, you know, nothing ever happens to me. Why do I never get anything? And he's like, oh, you know, don't worry about it. Just let it go. And then one day she comes back to him and she goes, oh, it happened, it happened. I had these beautiful swirls. Oh, this, oh, it was amazing. And then he walks up to her and he taps her forward and said, that will never happen again. <laughs> and it's just the idea that that was not the point of the meditation. Mm. That has nothing to do with it. You know, that, that you're not supposed to go with the intention of trying to, I mean, in a sense for, for what we're coming at it from, like maybe if you want to be a medium, or commune with the dead. Maybe you could go down with the intention. But yeah, the, normally when you go to meditation, the intention is not 
to try and get some sort of experience out of it. But I'm not saying that you wouldn't necessarily get someone who wants to be a medium or commune or something like that who would go in with the intention of finding something. Because does that happen? Like people turn out to meditation, that have to meditate classes because they want to become a. No, but that is a step prior to becoming a medium is to meditate intensely. Do you believe in mediums? No, I don't. Well, yeah, I think what I believe is is very scientific. So training as a physicist, energy and matter are very interchangeable. I mean, that is what, what Einstein proved. But I think as a way of thinking that your consciousness survives as, as, as you, you know, cinematic ghost in, in this just floating around like, hey, look at me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess with your stuff like a poltergeist or something. That, that I don't really, I don't really agree with. But the idea that there is something out there that you could connect with as a whole, like the idea of when that you are dropping an ocean, so, so your consciousness is separate now because it's in a body. But if you were to die, your consciousness could join the whole of the universe. There's no way to communicate with that. How do you communicate with something that's always been and has always... There is no communication. There is only feelings and, and maybe something like that, but not on an individual level. Not on a like, oh, I'm talking to my grandma. That's always why they're so vague. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not saying that people don't have really interesting experiences. And that might be someone's truth. I mean, that's one of the biggest things that Deepak really um, adheres to, that we create our reality with our own mind. So, you know, if you really, really believe that you're going to be able to commune with someone who's passed away, you will find that because you're willing it into existence. Well, you don't know, do you? I, I, don't, I don't know. Exactly. It's tainted a little bit because a lot of people that say they can do that are, they're just charlatans that are playing off people's grief. And, and don't get me wrong, I do think that there are charlatans out there that are pain, playing off people's grief. And then there are people out there that maybe know they're not quite 100% authentic, but that they feel they're helping people anyway. So they're genuinely trying to be kind if that makes sense. And then, yeah, there are people that just want you money. <laughs> Consciousness is an interesting thing. The more I've read about it, I feel like I'm buying into these ideas that you're an observer of things rather than, like, we don't have as much agency over what we do as we like to think because we like to think that we're in control. But a lot of things are predetermined, really, like genetics. Mm. And a lot of our thought when we say we did something, it's often us rationalizing after the fact. And it's not necessarily the correct analysis of why you did something, but you just have told yourself a story as to why you've done things sometimes. So I feel like I'm more conscious of the way that that works through detaching myself from thoughts during meditation, that that makes a lot more sense to me. But I've also sort of read more about you're more of a scientist than I am, but from what I've read, it seems like consciousness is sort of one of the last kind of unexplained phenomena of, of how we work. That people don't really quite understand why the lights get turned on, if that makes sense. Am I just talking nonsense there? Or No, I mean, that is one of the things that we look for, that people look for in animals, is being able to recognize themselves in a mirror. You know, like being able to recognize that them, that they are something. And, and then, then like certain, what we would consider, you know, higher animals like dolphins and chimpanzees can all recognize themselves and they all realize that it's them, that that's me. And yeah, it's that, where is that, where, where things start to, where the consciousness separates. If you were being sort of religious about it you, or spiritual, you'd say that it's connected to whether you have a soul or not. What sort of state of intelligence or cerebral activity do you manifest before the lights come on and you have a soul like in some ways like an ant probably doesn't 
does it? I don't know. I mean, that is something that I've always really struggled with when I was a child was I didn't really understand why there wasn't more effort to try to communicate with animals. I thought you were about to say ants. <laughs> no, no, not ants, not ants. And just animals in general. <laughs> because, like, you know, we put a lot of effort into, um, you know, like, say, say if you were to find, which we won't, but say if you were to find an extraterrestrial that you would say, like, that, that thing has grown here. And I would hope that as a species, we would not assume it was an animal. We would assume intelligence until we could prove that it had no intelligence. You know, even if it was almost a plant, you know, even if it was, um, you know, whatever we found that was growing, we would try to assume intelligent no matter what shape. And we would do our best to try to communicate with this until we finally exhausted all avenues and decided it's, it's, it's not. We wouldn't just look at it and go, oh, well, because it lives on Mars or there's no evidence of civilization that it must be stupid. You wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily assume that. But we don't seem to have done that with animals. Like we don't seem to have really tried to communicate with animals in a sense of like nearly speaking their language, even though I realize animals don't necessarily have language. I mean, that is something that has been looked at. But I feel like once they've decided, oh no, there's no, there's no language, that they seem to let it go. When there is a, 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 you know, when we do study them, we do find out really, really interesting things. Like elephants are so attached to their family members that when one of them dies, you know, they go into mourning and, they, and we know that. And there's also been evidence of elephants taking revenge like actually chasing and going and hunting, spending years taking revenge on towns and families and humans because they killed one of their family members. They really don't forget, do they? Exactly. <laughs> you know, and that's just not something we would associate with an animal. But sorry, I'm going off topic here. No, no, but that's interesting because it's, it goes to the nature. There's a very interesting essay, which I haven't read. I've only listened to a couple of podcasts that happen to mention it called um what is it like to be a bat have you heard of that essay no because a bat has a completely different sensory experience of the world because it's blind and it uses sonar and it interprets well they're not technically blind but yeah well right well (laughs) (laughs) okay it doesn't primarily use sights to get around does it there you go yeah okay so they use echolocation don't they generally so they will reinterpret you know, echolocation waves into their brain. And they obviously fly about and they don't bump into things. And so, the, But their sensory experience of the world is completely different to ours. So the essay, I think, gets into how we could never really understand not living the same experience as the bat. They have a different experience of consciousness than we do because they perceive the world in a very different way to us i mean it's like other animals only being like being able to see ultraviolet light or something it's just, our perception of reality is just a human perception i don't know it just i feel like that is m- more obvious to you when you do meditate or, or it, it resonates with it and it hammers home the fact that you know these are just perceptions of reality i mean there are stuff that's they're not saying that you imagine this stuff is there that isn't but it is no i completely stuff. agree but because like you never get to that state of contemplating the, you know, generally the nature of consciousness if you don't sit down and be quiet for a bit and get your mind to calm down. If you're, Because I've been the way I am for so long, like focused on yoga and meditation, I kind of disconnect or start to forget, maybe is a better way of saying it, how consumed in our own thoughts most people are. So because I've been, you know, I've been a yoga teacher for 
well, since 2015. But then before that, I was doing yoga for years, you know, you know, nearly, you know, I think it was about seven years I was doing yoga before I became a teacher. And then before that, I meditated with the Kadampa Buddhist monks and nuns for maybe two or three years before that. So I went to yoga because I knew yoga had some aspect of meditation and spirituality behind it. And that's what brought me into my yoga. Not, you know, loads of people come to yoga because they think, oh, I'll be skinny and I'll be able to touch my toes. Uh, (laughs) Which, you know, I never came to yoga with that intention. That was never my mindset when I came to it. I always came to it from the idea that I could go somewhere with my meditation through going to yoga. And so when I first started, I had a a teacher and it ended up being quite private quite quickly because her classes got smaller and smaller and then it ended up just being us. So ended up teaching with one teacher for a very long time, which was nice in a sense of being able to just similar to what, you know, I'm doing now is I get, you know, (laughs) you call them my fan base, my yoga fan base. I can only speak for myself. And, um, (laughs) but you know, I was her fan, you know, and it was good. And I felt like I really learned a lot from her at the time. And that really opened a lot of doors. But I came to that from the idea of the meditation and going down that route. I just think that I sometimes forget that people have very, very busy minds and they have absolutely no control over their thoughts. And I'm not saying that we, that I have control over my thoughts in that way. I don't, I don't, it, like you said, you could be walking down the road and then a thought will come into your mind. You don't control the thought that comes. What you control is what happens with the thought. So for me, in my state now, I don't have a problem with my thoughts. I wouldn't say that I have control over my mind. Nobody has, nobody has that kind of control, you know. But I don't feel like I have a problem with the thoughts themselves. Like, like you're saying on loops or going down a horrible spiral of worry or something like that. Not, I don't tend to. But what I have a problem with now is my emotional reaction forget my brain. My brain's not even involved. It's just emotions, just anger or, okay. I don't know if you know anything about Star Trek and the Star Trek universe and that kind of thing. Mm, Not really, no. I watched The Wrath of Khan, but that's it. So I have watched all the Star Treks from start to finish, except for the brand new ones, Discovery of Mount Massive. Anyway, um, except for the brand new ones, I have watched all of the old Star Treks. But one of the things that's over that is the, you know, Vulcans are supposed to have no emotions. You know, they have, they just talk and that's that. They're like a robot kind of idea. They have these, they have no emotions. But originally, they did have emotions, and they, had, they were too strong. They were so strong that they couldn't control them. So they made this pact and this idea that they just turned them all off. So I always joke that I'm kind of like a Vulcan that never got, never got that. So all my emotions are really, really strong. I feel really strong anger. I feel really strong love. And I think that is my problem. I think that is why I want to, why I need to meditate is to try and get control of these strong emotions. And it's not my thoughts. It's definitely physical. Very different, I think. Very Two, di- two very different experiences. I'm still going to back meditation to solve it. I mean, it's not a silver bullet, is it? But- oh, no, yeah. I'm not saying that meditation wouldn't solve it. I just feel like I, I, I need to do meditation when there's a problem. Although I would sort of say that I feel like I now need to do it every day so that I well practiced in it. As I said, it took me weeks to get to the state I was last week, and you, I couldn't just turn it on and off like a tap. You're very right. What I also want to say about the experience of it, when you were saying people get caught up in their own thing and then their own thoughts and stuff, this is going to sound elitist maybe, but you know, like, I don't really feel very 
special for being a human being sometimes now. Well, you are a very special human being. Well, compared to others, but in, <laughs> in general, I don't know, I feel like... The whole world doesn't revolve around you. Yeah, yeah. It's, I feel like you feel a lot less important when you are, you know, not consumed by thought and desires and stuff. And you, it's too late to talk about happiness and goals and stuff like that, but I think it's connected to that as well. And we will talk about that another time, obviously, because we spent too long talking about... Yeah, so talking about emotions. So anxious right now. I've got 20 minutes to eat breakfast, get changed and set up for yoga. Oh, God, I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> This week's episode was brought to you in partnership with Deepak Chopra's 21-day meditation experiences. Uh, That's a joke. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week to find out how we both got triggered by Toy Story. If you enjoyed the show, uh, both of them, because that's two now, and you wish to express that in some form, you, you are very, very free and welcome to give us a good review or rating on your podcast provider or to tell other people about us in person or by sharing on social media. That sort of thing is very, very helpful, and is, I'm not just asking you to do that to massage our egos, although it is nice hearing stuff. Our social media tags are in the show description, and it was Vipassana. See you next time. <laughs>